And welcome back as we continue our series here at the Christian Church of Estes Park on living hope. It's Pastor Aaron here. And today we're going to talk about how God gives us living hope to overcome even death. And uh, it's a kind of a topic, unfortunately, that we've, uh, as a culture, have been dealing with. This pandemic has really opened the gates of death into our culture as we uh, together mourn the loss of uh, over, what, almost uh, 41,000 Americans. I know it's going to continue to grow. We're grateful it's not more. Uh, We're grateful here in Estes Park. Luckily, we haven't been impacted that much by the virus itself. But even so, I know a lot of our our church members, uh, a lot of us have friends and family that are grieving the loss of some who have been impacted by this pandemic, as well as just uh, by death in general, which uh, impacts all of us at some point. So uh, today, we're going to be talking about that and how the Scripture really does have a lot of great things that show us about death and help us to face that, and so we don't have to be afraid of it. And really, fear is what the core of what we're going to be talking about, because uh, the reason one death is one of our biggest fears is because it's one of those areas where it seems kind of nebulous. There's a lot of uh, unknown about it, and uh, fear oftentimes comes from ignorance, just not knowing what's out there. And when we are afraid of death, it oftentimes causes us to really be uh, in, filled with anxiety. Uh, it can lead to depression, sometimes addiction, doubt, or cynicism. Uh, But on the other side, when we see uh, the purpose that God has even in death and the promises beyond death, death can actually help us cling to hope. It can help us live our lives with meaning, and it can help us grow in faith. And that's where we're going to be ending up uh, today. The Bible in this not only gives us that meaning and purpose, but it also gives us great comfort and assurance as we face death. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, uh, really that assurance and to really get the heart of that at the beginning, let's take a look at our Bible memory verse for this series because it speaks directly to this topic today. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so let's start there and then we'll get on with the rest of the message. So here we go. Say it along with me. Three, two, one. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. Again, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. And one more time, just to set it into our heart and our heads. Here we go. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What a wonderful truth that is. If you have your Bibles, why don't you take them out and open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we'll be starting reading in verse 13. And uh, 1 Thessalonians is Paul's letters to Thessalonica. And when he wrote this letter... The church at Thessalonica was undergoing a very severe persecution at the time. And so Christians were being executed fairly regularly uh, because of their faith. And so the, the topic of death was definitely on the hearts and the minds of the Thessalonican church as they were worried about what happens to them when they die? And what about their uh, family members that they've seen executed for their faith? And they were a grieving church. And so Paul writes to them in, in this book. And in chapter 4, starting uh, verse 13, we read this. He says, Brothers and sisters, 
We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that just as Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What an awesome passage. And they're worried about, am I going to get to see my family members again? And he says, absolutely. Uh, the ideas uh, in, in context in that period of time, uh, when a uh, a dignitary would come to your town, say like if Caesar was going to show up in Thessalonica. Uh, everybody in the town would go as a form of honor, would go outside at the city village at, to the gates, and they would greet them on the outside. And so they would greet the king as he came in. And Paul says that it's going to be very similar when Christ returns the second time. Uh, as he comes back to this earth, as the king comes into this uh, back uh, to, to, to visit us again. He said the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ are going to show up on the outsides, right? They're going to be uh, taken up to the clouds on, on the city gates as it is for the earth and that we who are still alive will go and we will be with them. So our first introduction uh, is going to be a, a reconciliation with those who have passed before us and we'll get to see them again. And what a great thing that's going to be. And then together we get to then greet our king as he comes back and restores this world to its perfect glory. And uh, what a great and amazing day that is going to be. But what I want to focus on, not just the context of that, but some things that Paul said in there. The first thing is recognize that it says it's okay for us to mourn. He says he doesn't want us to mourn like those who have no hope, but it still means that we have to mourn. And oftentimes as Christians, I think uh, we try to over-spiritualize things. We say, just because we know how great it's going to be, we, our hope is in the future, we feel guilty when we grieve, when, when we face death. When there's somebody in our life that is taken and it's hard, uh, sometimes it's, uh, we get this false guilt, like, why am I so sad? Well, you're so sad because you had a loss. And it's okay for Christians to grieve. It's okay for us to recognize that there is a wounding of our soul and of our hearts and of our emotions, and it's difficult. The great news is that, that death isn't the end. That wound isn't the end for us. And so we can grieve, but we also have a hope through that grief, a living hope, which we get to talk about today. And that hope really begins with this, that this life isn't all there is, that, that this world is not all there is. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, in context here, Paul is not talking about houses. He's not talking about your mansion that God's building for you in heaven. That's what Jesus talks about in other places. But right here, in context, the tent he's talking about is our bodies. And he says, we know that if this earthly tent is destroyed, that we get an eternal one. And I love how he, he says this. There's a couple things he says. First, he says, for we know. This is assurance. It's not that we hope. We're, we're, we, we just, boy, I wish that we would have eternal bodies, or we really hope that God's got a, a better body for us. No, there's absolute assurance. And where does that assurance come from? 
from Easter. That's why this series comes right after Easter, a living hope. Jesus died and he rose again. And he said that all of his followers, that we would also rise again and we would have uh, bodies, new bodies, just like he had a new body. And so we have the absolute assurance. We got to see the promise fulfilled in Christ and now we wait for the promise to be fulfilled in us. So there's an assurance. It's not like maybe it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. The second thing, though, is so great with this is not just that we get raised again. As great as that is, I'm grateful that I don't just get raised again into this body. I mean, it's a pretty great body, right? But the new body is even better. Look at the upgrade. He says, we live in tents. We get a heavenly house. So I want you to take a look at, for those of us who live in Estes Park, a lot of us like to camp, right? We've got tents. Uh, We look at our tents, and there's a reason that you don't live the majority of your life in the tent. It's, It's okay, but it's not meant to be lived in forever, right? I mean, a tent is all right, but it's temporary. A tent is okay, but it's, it's not as fancy. A tent is all right. There's not the comforts of home. We use tents to go stay somewhere temporarily, and God has us on this earth temporarily. This is not our home. We're just tenting here. But when this tent wears out, I go home. And the home that I go to, this new body <laughs> that I'm going to have, is going to be a huge upgrade. Just like your tent has been upgraded, like your house is a massive upgrade compared to your tent. I mean, you've got... You, you, you've got water on tap, right? Think about that. You've got you know, heat. You've got you know, electricity. You've got, you got a nice bed. You're not sleeping on a, a cot, right? We've, our homes are much better. In the same way, when we die and we get rid of this earthly tent, what comes next is fantastic. Our new bodies are going to be amazing, and they won't wear out. Just like a tent is, is temporary, but your houses are more permanent, we have permanent bodies. I'm not going to get sick. They're not going to die. They're not going to get age spots or wrinkles or gray hairs. They're going to be fantastic. So we know what comes next. The absolute assurance is pretty, pretty great. And the scripture teaches us about this. It's like what we have next is amazing. So our, our living hope is in heaven. All that's wonderful. But like the apostle said, we still have to grieve death today. As, as it comes into our lives, we just don't want to grieve like those who have hope. So let me share with you this morning as we talk about how do we face death in our world today. How are four keys of facing death in our life with living hope? And the first thing that we do when we face death, when death comes into our life that we need to do, is turn immediately to God. And not later, but the first thing that to be able to handle death in this life is to turn to God. The quicker you can turn to God, the better. James chapter 4, verse 8, and this was Jesus' brother, he said this, Come near to God, and He will come near you. I want you to think about that, that our God is not far off. If you are a believer in Christ, God's Holy Spirit is with us. We have the promise, God said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He's not just around you, He's actually in you. Uh, it's an amazing promise. In the midst of death, God says, I don't want to just be physically present with you. I want to be emotionally present with you. I want to be in your life. I want to, to turn towards you. In context, what, what James is saying in our own lives, in our own righteousness, how we live, if we turn towards God, God is not far off. He's not running away saying, hey, you know, uh, do better and maybe uh, you can get closer to me. The God is, is, is there and he's like, just take a step close. I want to know that you want to be with me. And as soon as we do that, uh, God meets us. He comes towards us. And so in the midst of death, when we face this separation of the soul, which is what death really is, it's a brokenness, a spiritual wound uh, that is there. There's a a void of somebody that we used to know that is no longer there. God says, 
come to me and I'm going to more than fill that void. I'm going to step in there with you. I will be close to you. You know, oftentimes, and I've been with a lot of people that have gone through struggles and are uh, in the midst of grief because they've had tragic losses in their life. And a common question and a very honest and and, uh, I think a fair question is why? (laughs) What is God doing? You know, where is God in the midst of this? And God says, I'm here. And the sooner that we can turn to him and say, you know what, God, I need your help. I don't understand this. It hurts. Uh, The faster we're going to be able to connect with him and his healing. Charles Spurgeon, and I used this this quote at another sermon earlier on that I talked about death as well. I think it's a really great uh, quote. And he said this, he's a great preacher, and he said, uh, God is too wise to be mistaken. And God is too good to be unkind. When you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. And so oftentimes when death comes into our life, we're not going to make sense of it. It doesn't make sense. It hurts. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And we're not going to be able to trace God's hand. What is God? Where where is God in this? So instead of trying to, you know, puzzle out where's God doing and all of the complexity of the plans and the mystery mystery of God and how he's bringing all things together for goodness, uh, that's sometimes a fruitless endeavor for us in the midst of grief to do. The first thing we do is trust his heart, that in the midst of even broken things, that our God is there to meet us. So we turn to God. This is what uh, King David did. Uh, we read that wonderful psalm, the 23rd psalm, the, uh, the whole psalm that begins with, the, it, he's our shepherd. Well, in that psalm, David talks about a valley. He says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And there's so much richness in that. But I think how David poetically, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how he poetically frames death is so right. It is a valley. right? It's like this deep, dark valley. And for those of us that live in Estes, we understand valleys like canyons. And I remember when I was a little kid, the, the Highway 34 Canyon was like the valley of the shadow of death because I would get car sick, and it was awful. Um, it was dark. It was terrifying. There is the, you go into the narrows and you can't even see the tops of the rocks. And it was just an a anxiety-producing time, right? And it felt like this dark, dark valley. And what allowed me to get through that was the car, obviously. But also emotionally what allowed me to get through that oftentimes was my mom or my dad. And knowing that they were with us in the midst of what looked like this terrifying trip uh, was a great comfort. And fear, uh, death is like that. that. Death is like this valley. It's intimidating. It's, it's scary. It looks uh, awful to us. We don't uh, really see what's going. We just feel it's dark. It's a, a horrible long journey. Um, it's nauseating at times. What we find here with David, though, is a secret of how to face that valley without fear. And that's having our Heavenly Father with us. And uh, that's why we don't have fear. It's because God is with us through it. And that's why it's so important that the very first thing that we do when we encounter death, when death comes into our life and takes somebody that we love away, the first thing we need to do and and continually through the process is to turn to God so he can come near us, so he can be with us and go through this valley with us so we don't have to face it with fear. The second key is that we have to give ourselves permission to mourn. Right? Mourning grief is the healing process of the soul. That is what it is. 
And so we have to give ourselves permission to heal. God doesn't expect us to just march our way through this and pretend it's not there. We're not to just live in eternal denial. We have to allow ourselves to grieve. Look at King David again. He wrote that wonderful psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear. Well, he writes another psalm, Psalm 119, in which he he writes in, um, it was in response to the death of one of his his own children. And, And his son died because of his own sin even. And even though he, he knows that he was a cause of this and all of this, and even though he knows God is with him, David writes in Psalm 119, he says this, uh, verse 28, says, I weep with grief. I weep with grief. It's not an act of faithlessness to, to mourn. Remember that even Jesus wept as he went to his friend's tomb, Lazarus, we have to give ourselves a chance to to be able to grieve, to mourn the loss. It's not a lack of faith. It's a healing of the soul. And so let's talk about really how does the soul heal, just like when your body gets a cut, it heals, and there's a process to it. Usually it's like a scabbing, and and then eventually the new skin grows underneath and all that, and it itches and all that. Eventually the scab falls off, and there might be a scar or whatever. There's a healing process. Well, there's a healing process for our souls as well, and we call that grief. And um, in uh, 1969, this uh, psychologist, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, released a a study or a book that she had uh, put together called On Death and Dying, and she outlined really the stages of grief that she'd put together over a lifetime of research of how do people heal? What is the healing process of the soul and of the mind and of the heart as people grieve through death and she came up with five uh, stages and then recently another stage was was just recently added to that and uh, as we go through this recognize that not this is not just a linear progression it's not like you're just going to go from one to the next to the next to the next and then you get to the end uh, the grief is it has this progression but it has this progression simultaneously it's like waves in the ocean you don't go to the ocean and find a wave you go to the ocean and find hundreds of waves, thousands of waves, right? And so those waves all hit the shore and there's a process that they hit the shore and they all kind of have this way of doing it, but some waves are bigger than the other. Well, grief is like that. And that's because when you face a loss, when somebody dies, you're not just grieving one death. You're not just grieving the death of that person. You're grieving thousands of little deaths. You're grieving the death of of having that person with you on your birthday or enjoying a, a a memory with that person or the hopes and dreams that you might have had with that person or uh, sharing a sunset with that person or, or the person's sense of humor or just their companionship. There's so many little deaths that you have to grieve. It's like this onslaught of waves. But those waves progress in this, usually in this way. And the first, the first portion of how the wave hits, usually it's denial. When uh, we are confronted with death, the first thing that usually happens is the sense of, of a disconnect, of cognitive dissonance. We understand in our head that the person is gone, but our hearts can't grasp that yet. And, it, and oftentimes people in denial, they'll feel crazy because they'll know it's true, and yet they'll do things like they'll expect that person to come walking in through the door. 
right? I, I, I know folks that uh, as they've grieved and they've gone through this, days, weeks, sometimes even months later, they'll, uh, they'll be sitting down and they'll watching a TV show and they'll see something funny and then they'll say something to their spouse who's passed on, you know, months earlier. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, they're gone. And in this stage of denial, it's the first stage of grief. You're not crazy. It's a portion of letting the, the truth of the reality of the separation begin to, to settle. It's, it's the soul has this wound, this opening that wasn't there before. And it's, it's beginning to adjust. And it's okay. It takes time. Denial is, is a normal, natural part of the grief process. It, of course, hits right at first. But even, like I said, weeks and months later, there might be portions of the grieving process. You might hit denial again, and it doesn't mean you're going crazy. It means that your mind and your heart are starting to, to understand the loss <laughs> and are beginning that healing process. After we hit denial, the second thing, denial usually moves into anger. Because the reality is, is that death hurts. And think about it, when things hurt us, usually we get mad. Um, if somebody hits their hand with a, a hammer, you know, their first thought usually isn't to go, you know, kiss their mom or to tell a joke, right? Usually they get mad. They're like, oh, why did I do that? Uh, pain usually <laughs> results in, in anger. And so as the denial lifts and the pain of the loss begins to hit, uh, it's not uncommon for people to begin to feel angry. And that anger can be directed in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes anger at the death. Sometimes it's anger at the person. If there's somebody at fault for that death, uh, maybe it's anger at themselves for not taking advantage of the relationship that they had or not saying things they should have or saying things they shouldn't have. Sometimes that anger is directed at God. Sometimes the anger is just this underlying, just, they just feel mad and they don't know why, but they just feel angry. Well, that's part of this. It's it's the heart and the soul responding to the pain. And as we are in that pain, then usually that anger then moves to bargaining. And bargaining is really uh, our last-ditch emotional effort to use any bit of power we have to change it, to make it stop hurting. And so usually in bargaining, people will do things like they'll, they'll try to make deals with God. Lord, if you would just bring them back, right, uh, then I will... I'll do this amazing thing for you, right? Or Lord, if you make it stop hurting, then I'll do this for you. I'll go to church every single Sunday, which you should anyway. But, you know, you, we make these bargains with God. And we try to make it feel better. Sometimes we bargain with ourselves, right? Um, if, I, if I won't cry, then I'm going to go do these other things, right? But it's trying to cling to the last bit of power we feel like we might have over this, this situation. But at the end of the day, we don't have any power of the situation. Nothing is going to stop the pain it hurts. You have a loss. Death was not originally part of the design. It is a bad, awful thing. And so uh, eventually, through bargaining, we've bargained our way out. Uh, we recognize that we are powerless to change this loss. And so that leads to the next phase, which is depression. And depression is uh, what most people think of when they think of grief. It's that crying feeling sad. Sometimes people cry and they don't even know why. Um, it also can be loss of, of enjoyment of life for a while, things that you used to love doing you don't even want to do anymore, loss of appetite or energy. Uh, and usually when people are grieving, they sleep a lot more, they, they isolate more. It's normal. Uh, it's not wrong. It's, it's part of this, that brokenness, a sense of like, oh, I am powerless in this and this hurts and I can't change it. 
And uh, it's, a, it's a very, it's a hard time, a dark time. It's the valley that uh, we walk through. And as we get through that portion of depression, then we come to a point of acceptance. This is where Kluber Ross ended her journey in this. It's a point of, in that depression, as we grieve, as we cry, as we let go of, of the pain, as we, what God is doing is he's knitting our souls back together and he's separating the wonderful memories of the person from the pain of the loss. And so as we grieve, we allow him to do that and we allow him to knit our souls back together. And yes, we come out with a scar that the greater the, the loss, the bigger the scar. But eventually we get to that point. We have this acceptance that, that life goes on and your life goes on and it will happen. It, it takes a while. It takes a lot longer uh, than most of us would anticipate. In fact, oftentimes people think that the first year, once they get past the first year and they have the first birthday and the first anniversary and all that, then it'll be all done and they'll be fine. It doesn't work like that. Uh, sometimes I've heard, oftentimes people say the second year is even harder. That uh, now it's because the first, or these, these giant firsts are like, now this person's not here. The second one is the permanence of the loss. And I recognize that, that you're not crazy in this, that, you, that uh, it's hard, but eventually we come to a point of acceptance. It doesn't mean that we still don't, aren't sad about the loss. In fact, for those who have lost children, it's most profound uh, that uh, that type of pain is always, there's a deep, deep scar that's going to be there and it's okay. There's always going to be some level of longing or pain, but it won't be as bad. There comes to a point that they recognize that this is what happens and, uh, and there's an acceptance to it that I can remember my spouse, I can remember my child, I can remember my friend, but all the heavy emotions, the, the, the waves have stopped crashing against the, the shore of my life. And it's that point at which then we begin to, to move on in life. But I'm so grateful that here recently that we've discovered there's actually one more step in the healing process, and that's this, meaning. That as we grieve, a full, uh, as we heal in the soul, we don't just come to a point of accepting the loss, that there is a truth in this, that God works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a, that Romans 8 uh, 24, as we, we get to that, that verse becomes a very real thing in our life. We recognize that even in brokenness, even in death, that God finds purpose. And so that, that meaning is oftentimes either meaning in the person's death, meaning in the pain, meaning in that person's life. Maybe it was that relationship uh, changes how we live and can actually allow us to live better lives, become better friends, become more compassionate people. And we put purpose to the pain. Or better put, God puts purpose to the pain. And we get to live a better life for that. And this is the process that we go through. And like I said, it is, it is a bunch of these waves that, that crash. <laughs> and it takes a while. Um, for, for those that may be acquaintances, that process is pretty short. For those that are very close, like spouses or children, that process can take a long time. And it's different for every person. But allow yourself to go through these processes. And allow those that you know that are grieving to go through those processes as well. And knowing what they're in, maybe it helps you to sit along beside them. If they're in denial, you don't need to tell them, oh, this person really is dead. And you just need to realize that they know that. Maybe it's sitting along beside them as the realization settles in. Or if they're angry, not to tell them that they're a bad person for being angry, but to be like, yeah, it hurts. And to recognize the pain. 
and to, to comfort them with your presence. Or if they're bargaining with God to not tell them, oh, well, God's not going to listen and try to talk rationality to them, that's not helpful. But to let them come to that point to remind them that you're there with them, that God is there with them, and that he's got purpose, but that you're just there. If they're in depression, it's not to tell them, hey, buck up, you know, get out of bed and, and live. To let God do that work. Let them cry and cry with them, as Scripture tells us, to laugh with those who laugh and mourn with those who mourn. Can you go and let them talk about their, their decease? You know, it's one thing to, to, to be able to say, tell me stories. And yes, they're going to cry, and it's a very healing thing, and not to be afraid of it. When they come to a point of acceptance, that's wonderful. And as they walk into meaning, help them practice that, that purpose. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to have God with us in this, as God brings us through these stages. So we give ourselves permission to mourn. The third key that we have is that we also need to receive support from others. Because grief is a battle. It's, uh, it's not an easy thing. It's a hard-fought battle. It is exhausting. People who are grieving are exhausted. And the thing is, is that you're not supposed to grieve alone. That God doesn't make the church a person. God made the church a congregation. And I know that's so weird because right now I'm grieving the loss of, 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 of our fellowship. Right? I'm preaching to the camera yet again, and it's so hard. It's a smaller type of grief, but it's hard. Right? But we are meant to be together. Society is, is, is part of what we are made for. God is building a kingdom, uh, and so we're part of that. And as we grieve, oftentimes that depression uh, makes us want to go off and be alone. We want to make ourselves isolate. But the thing is that we don't have strength in ourselves. And God, yes, he's always with us, but he's calling us to draw also strength from his church family, your church family. And so we need to be together. We need to be able to receive support from others. It's okay to not look dignified all of the time. It's okay to cry and to weep. It's okay to, to sometimes break down. I know that uh, we've had members of our church who have lost spouses or children who have come, and through the service, they just, they just mourn, weep the entire time, and we could be talking about something totally happy, and it doesn't matter, they're still crying. That is okay. They need to be here and be part of this. As they go through that healing process, it should happen in the context of, of community. We can't do it alone. A great story that, that illustrates this, it's a different kind of battle. In fact, the, the story comes to us from the book of Exodus. and It's a story that happens where Moses is, is helping lead the people to the promised land. and They come across this enemy, and God says, Joshua, go down and fight. Moses, go on the top of the hill, and why don't you lift this, this staff in the air. And when you have your hands in the air, while it's lifted up, um, your, your armies will overcome. But if you lower your arms, then... Um, the people, your army, Joshua's army is going to lose power and you're going to start losing the battle. So keep your hands up, right? Lift them up so, so that way you're recognizing the power comes from God, not from us. So Moses goes to the top of the mountain and he's lifting up the staff. And, and I don't know if you've ever held your hands in the air for a while, but after about 30 seconds, it starts to get fatiguing. And, and this battle was lasting a long time. It was a very extra long day. And so Moses was getting exhausted, and he couldn't do it on his own. And so we read in Exodus 17, it says, When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it up under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. That in this, again, we see that uh, having the community, that for those to help us to, to lift up what we can't, and I love that story because as we go through grief 
as we remember that it's God and his promises that are going to get us through this, that's an amazing thing, but it's exhausting and you can't do it by yourself. And so when your faith runs out, when your energy and your strength runs out, it's so important to have some people close to you that can help lift up your hands of praise to God again, uh, even on your behalf until you get to the other side. The New Testament puts it a little different. Paul's letter to Galatians, he says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In the law of Christ, we find out, you know, it's, uh, it's understood, it's the, the law that says this, love one another. That's the law of Christ. And so if you want to love one another, if you want to honor God, or you want to be followers of Jesus and do what he's asked, one of the things that we need to do to, in order to fulfill that law, the, how Jesus wants us to live, is to carry each other's burdens, right? Which means that we need to give help. We need to be willing to support. And I know that it is uncomfortable to be around grieving people. Even as a pastor, it's not like it's a fun thing to do. It is uncomfortable. Every time there's this, there's this sense of like, oh, I'm so not up to this. I can't take away their pain. And I think that's part of it is that uh, a lot of times Christians and other people ignore those who are grieving because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to say and I don't want to say the wrong thing. And that's good because sometimes well, people are grieving. We do say stupid, bad things that actually cause pain. So this is what you do. You pray. You say, I'm going to carry their burdens. And the person who's grieving doesn't expect you to have all the answers. They don't expect me to have all the answers. I'm a pastor. I don't. God has the answers. What they do expect is to be loved and not ignored. And so oftentimes the best thing that you can do for somebody who's grieving is to go in their life and say, I don't know what to say. <laughs> There's just no words, but I'm here for you. To sit there and to hold their hand while they cry. Uh, you know, to... There's other things that you can do as well. Take care of some things, maybe bring some uh, food or, or things like this. It's respecting their space, but also just showing them, bringing some groceries from time to time, write them a card, call them once in a while, and definitely pass the first three weeks. The first three weeks, usually people get all kinds of, they're overwhelmed with support and they're just overwhelmed with the being in denial and all that kind of stuff. But it's after that, it's a long term. A phone call, say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Uh, remember this, it doesn't hurt the person to talk about their deceased, per their deceased one, the, the one that they loved. In fact, it's more healing if they could actually talk about that person because they want to know that person didn't uh, just disappear, <laughs> that, that that person actually mattered. It validates that person as well as their own pain. And so they say, you know, call them on that, uh, their, their anniversary or that person's birthday and say, hey, tell me about them. Listen to the story and let them cry. And let them work through that process. That's one of the ways that we give help. We're carrying a burden. And is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Is it uncomfortable? Yes, it's uncomfortable. But it's fulfilling the law of Christ and we can do it. And the reason we can do it is because we know that it's not the end and we know that it leads to meaning and purpose. So be there. I want to say this though too. For those of you who are grieving right now, receive help. The, the, the idea is that, that uh, oftentimes when we're wounded, we become like wounded animals and we want to retreat. You're not going to get through this by yourself. You need, and I know it's hard, but you need to allow others to care for you. And it's going to be uncomfortable for you as well. And you're going to be embarrassed because it's not normal for people to just cry. It's not normal for us to act undignified, to, you know, just to fall apart. And, and you know if you're grieving right now, you know that sometimes that just happens. Like things will be fine and all of a sudden you're just crying and you don't even know why. And so I know it's hard to allow people in, but 
This is why you need a church family. You need to have some people that you trust, that love you. And even if it's a small group, even if it's only three or four people, let them in. If they offer to make you dinner, say, okay. If they offer to to talk with you, to sit with you, allow them to do it. Uh, Make sure that it's, you know, different for every person, but just regularly, if it's once a day or once a week, uh, that you're allowing yourself to be with others and to let them care for you. The fourth thing that we do is we allow others to help us with this. We need to do this. We need to use the opportunity to share Jesus. That uh, death is a horrible thing, but it is not the end. Philippians 1.21, it says this. Paul writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's not forget what I talked about at the beginning. We're trading tents for houses, right? It gets better, right? This is as close to hell as any of us who are in Christ will ever get to hell, right? That's it. How amazing is that? Right? In this world, we live in a, in a pretty close to paradise. But we recognize that it gets better. For me to die is gain. And it's not like I have a death wish. When God's ready to take me, He's going to take me. But if I'm going to live, I'm going to be in this world. If I've got to spend time in this tent, then let's make it worth it. Right? If you're going to have to struggle with pain, let's make it worth it. And we do that because we recognize there's a, there's a meaning, there's something bigger than death. See, life has purpose. Your life has purpose because death has promise. Think about that. If there was no promise of eternal life, then what would any of our lives even mean? The the old uh, philosophers and the hedonists would be absolutely right. Let's eat, drink, let's go crazy, let's party and indulge in pleasure because tomorrow we die. The thing is, yeah, we die, but see, the canyon, just like the Highway 34 Canyon or any valley, it leads somewhere. There's a reason we go through it. And it's for us, if you're in Christ, it leads to somewhere awesome. And so, recognize that right now, if you are grieving, you're in that canyon, but you're going somewhere. If you're facing death yourself, maybe you're ill, you're sick. Make sure that that canyon's going somewhere, and it is. And allow that to give that purpose then remember that the purpose that we have in this life, Jesus told us, he says, while we're here, that all authority in heaven and earth will be given to him. He said, therefore, go make disciples. Bring them to faith. Whilst we're in the midst of death, whilst we are in the midst of struggling with, uh, with grief, it also opens opportunities and doors to point people to the reason that we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have living hope. So use this as an opportunity to point to the living hope say, yeah, it's hard. This is painful. I do not like it. But my God is at work. I'm grateful to know that my spouse is with the Lord. I'm grateful to know that, that my God is real and he's with me in the midst of this. I'm grateful to know that he's going to do somehow miraculously work all this together for his good. I'm grateful to know that there's a day I'm going to be reunited with that person and we're going to meet the Lord in the air together with, and it's going to be awesome. I'm grateful to know that, that they've already traded their tent for a better house. I'm grateful to know that there's a promise. And I'm grateful to know that just because of the promise for the hereafter, there's a promise for the here and now that God is using my life now. He's got purpose for this. So make purpose for it. Use, point to Christ. Point to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. And I love this passage because the apostle does the victory lap on death. In this passage, he says, Hey, death, where's your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Know this, that heaven takes a sting out of death. Knowing what comes next, knowing that we are forgiven, that grace takes a sting out of death, that we stand right before God, not because we deserve it, but because we are saved by God's grace, simply through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That we don't have to fear it. So we're not afraid of death. If if we die, gain. If we live, for purpose, for Christ. And so, for the believer, death still hurts. But the true sting, the damage of it's gone. We grieve, but not like those who have no hope. But let's remember, and let's be thoughtful, and uh, that there are many in our culture now who still don't have that hope. They have no living hope. And for them, they have no promise. And therefore, where is their power to handle death? Which is why for all of us, whether or not you're grieving now or you're ha- helping someone with grieving, know this, that we live in a culture that's grieving. And we have the hope, the living hope that gives them the power, the promise to get through this. So we need to share that. So be praying for those that are struggling. Let's be active and caring for our community. And let's point them to Jesus, our living hope. Today we talked about some big things about how to face all of our death <laughs> with living hope. And this is how we do it. First thing we want to do is turn immediately to God. Not slowly, immediately. Second thing, give ourselves permissions to mourn. We also want to receive support from other people. And finally, we want to use the opportunity to share Jesus. Important keys for facing death. Next week, we're going to talk about some keys to facing even failures. And uh, boy, I tell you, with a shutdown economy, I think a lot of us are struggling with that. So we'll talk about how we can face our failures with living hope. But for this week, let me encourage us. Let's take some next steps with this. We want came to God's word. Let's apply God's word. Here's some things we can do. First, can you memorize Romans 8:18? What a great way to remind ourselves that death isn't the end and what comes next is far better, right? Something else you want to do, why don't you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Get that great context that allows us to take the victory lap. Third one, uh, why don't we thank God for life today? Here today, I know some life is hard and it's hard for a lot of us, but I'll tell you what, we have a lot more to be grateful for. Not the least of which is our salvation, not the least of which is the presence of the Holy Spirit, not the least of which is the purpose that God gives us, not the least of which is we get to see God at work even in hard things, right? Give thanks. God thanks for life. Something else you want to do is why don't you encourage a grieving friend this week? If you knew somebody, know somebody who's who's grieving the loss of somebody, maybe a spouse that they lost in the last couple years, or maybe it's somebody that you know who's maybe even grieving from uh, somebody they lost from this COVID uh, pandemic. Reach out to them and say, hey, listen, I love you, praying for you, we care for you. All right, well, that's what we have today. Uh, Before we go, let me offer this quick prayer. Father God, we thank you for your love and your kindness and your presence and your promise that give us purpose to overcome even death. Lord, we pray that you would destroy the death that has conquered so much of this world right now in the form of this pandemic, that you are a God of life, not of death. And so, Lord, turn our hearts to you as your people, that we would humble ourselves, we would pray, we would reject our old ways that were wicked, the ways that led to death, and we would seek you and your face, that we would seek true life. And God, I pray in this, that you would then heal this land, destroy this virus, shut it down. Father, we pray 
protection over our healthcare workers. We pray protection over our elderly. We pray protection over our families, Father. We pray protection over this community that you will stop the death and you will replace it with not just life, but eternal life in Christ. Lord, in that, I pray that you give us victory over this death, but the all of death. If there is any listening today who has not given their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you would draw them today and bring them in faith. Help them connect with us and that they could live in this new life and enjoy these promises as well. But for the rest of us, God, take away the fear and take away the anxiety that this death has brought. Instead, Father, replace it with opportunity and power to see your kingdom grow. Help us to be an encourager to this community as we point them to the living hope in Christ. We pray this in his wonderful, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to uh, seeing you next week. God bless.